Hello, friends, and welcome to Talking Transformative Love. Love is in the air. The podcast that talks vocation, love, and mission, celebrating the valiant woman that was Mary Ward. I'm Joanne Carter, your host. Before we get into this episode, we would like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of country, all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people across Australia, paying our deepest respect to their elders, past, present and emerging. Today we have Sister Libby Rogerson. Libby has been a Loretto sister for over 50 years. How did that come about? Well, I suppose it partly came about through my education at Loretto Normanhurst, which started me to think about it. I suppose I always had an interest in how I could work for or with people to transform their lives. But I don't think I was had a very clear view when I started off. It was just a notion that I needed to try this at least. And so would you say um, your story of vocation came about as a res- result of being educated at Normanhurst? I'd say it partly was. Yes, certainly. It, becoming a Loretto sister, I think, was most definitely. I didn't know anything else much. I had had the Josephite sisters in my primary school, but I don't think I ever thought about that. I, so I suppose it was determined by that, yes. So what would you then say is your belief system or spirituality that shaped your childhood and continues to form who you are today? Well, the belief system that shaped my childhood is interesting because my father came, though he wasn't practising anything, came from a pretty staunchly Presbyterian stock and my mother came from a very staunchly Irish stock. So I suppose I had a foot in either camp. I distinctly remember very clearly my great-grandparents, who both came from Scotland, singing old Presbyterian hymns and reading from the scriptures down in their house below the hill. And then my Catholic primary education. So I guess the end result of that was to be a bit broader than one. I don't think I was ever ever a very, we were ever a very narrow Catholic family. We didn't do a lot of the things that really staunch Catholic families did, like say the rosary every night or do any of those things. But probably um, my mother had a very simple but pretty profound faith. And my grandmother and my great grandparents had a very simple but profound Presbyterian faith. So I got a bit of both really. So what would you then say were some of the values that you learnt about as a child? Ah, the values that I learnt as a child. I think particularly from my mother, but a real concern about other people, that you didn't put yourself first. Not to say that I was lived up to it by any means, but that was uh, very strong in my mother. My mother was very generous, extremely hospitable. Both my parents were very hospitable. So I guess that was the sort of grounding. And all around me in the the small rural community that I came from was evidence of a very deep faith, not necessarily a very intellectual faith, but a very deep faith of people who put up with some pretty excruciating parish priests over the years, but still managed to keep going and supporting the church and so on. So, yeah. Mm. 
And speaking of um, concern for others, uh, you know, speaking of your childhood and having this value of care for other people, we all know you as a person who is deeply passionate about social justice issues. Tell us more about what drives that passion. I suppose what basically drives it is a commitment to the Gospels, pretty weak and ineffectual commitment to the Gospels sometimes, but at least um, the, the Gospels are underneath it. Um, Jesus' concern, not for the Pharisees or the rich or so on, but concern for the people at the margins or those who were isolated. So I guess that's one thing. I guess what had a profound influence on me was travelling when I was quite young, when I was 21. And I have a vivid memory of getting off a ship in Bombay and seeing poverty on a scale that I had never seen before. And even then, my very ignorant 21-year-old, asking myself, how can this be? And then I had some other experiences. I worked for a while on a kibbutz in Israel and saw how the Palestinian workers were treated and again had to ask myself, how can this be? So I guess that underpinned what I thought. And then when I went to university and started to grapple with some of these issues in international relations and studies of India and China and so on, it sort of gave me a, a greater base for it. So doing uh, international uh, activities or being part of international initiatives has inspired you to advocate for the marginalised and the ones with the least options. Yes, it has. And from very early days, I was engaged in quite a range of organisations or issues. Action for World Development, which was an ecumenical social justice action right a long way back. I remember being engaged in that ecumenically very early on and then moving on to uh, quite a number of other things. I was on the National Council for Caritas, which was a very formative and interesting time. I've been engaged with Mary Ward International Australia since it, since it began. So I, yes, I think the um, international thing threads through my concerns and then in a very real way since probably the 1970s or thereabouts, I've been engaged in some way or another with refugees and asylum seekers, first from Indochina and East Timor and then until the present day with a whole variety of people. Yep. And um, one of the things that I have heard about you is that you were a remarkable teacher. Tell us about um, your teaching experience or maybe you could share with us a profound story of educating the young? Oh, well, I'm not, I don't know that I would have considered myself a very great teacher and I haven't been a teacher for a long time, I suppose. I was one of the first teachers of politics in Western Australia and it just became a new subject. And I found that enormously interesting, really interesting because students were engaging with the political system. I was learning a lot about it too. So I think, I think that was very important. I remember um, being in a school where we were trying to address racism and it wasn't any good talking about it in religious education because that was just, you know, just the good stuff. So we, we made a pact that um, in year 11 we taught a piece of indigenous literature every year and that was just a different way, poetry or a play or a story. 
But I can remember to this day in this class, and we were talking about racism, and we, we did in this school have problems about racism among boarders and so on. And I remember this very vibrant conversation with these year 11s. And then this girl came from a really remote rural area, said to me, this very laconic voice, you know, you can get a bit narrow when you come from the country, which is kind of humorous at one level. And at another level, it was utterly profound. She could say it to me too, because she knew I also came from the country, from a very small place. And I said, yeah, you can become very narrow when you come from the country. Let's, let, let's talk about that. It always stayed with me. You suddenly get a breakthrough when you, you don't even know how you're doing it, really. Yeah, and I'm sure that that would have stayed with that person until now. Um, and it would have made a difference uh, on their lives. Now, we're going to talk all Mary Ward uh, being Vocation Week. And our theme for this year is transformative love. But one of the things we're kind of seeking to understand more about is that uh, Mary Ward on her deathbed said, let your vocation be constant, efficacious, and affectionate. 400 years on, what does that signify to you? And what does it represent for today's society? Well, the constant, I think, means hanging in there even when it gets difficult. And nobody goes through 50 years of religious life without hitting more than at least one stage of difficult difficulties, difficult communities, difficult situations, challenges. The constant is hanging in there and not giving up and not being negative either, not being so cynical and critical all the time. I think that's a really, and, you, and that's easy to do, easy mm. to do about the government, easy to do about the institute, easy to do about anything. So you, you keep trying to transcend being cynical and perhaps a bit bitter. Efficacious, well, I don't know, you hope it is, you hope, you hope somewhere in all that you've done, something's worked or a few things have worked or somebody's on the way to being transformative and so on. What's the third one? The third one is affectionate. Affectionate. Oh, well, yeah, I think human relationships are, are hugely important. I don't think you achieve anything without trying to develop warm relationships with people about trying to listen to them, see things from their point of view. That's, some of that's taken me a long time to get there, I suppose, because I tend to be opinionated about <laughs> my politics, <laughs> opinionated about a lot of things. So um, it's a bit of a challenge to me sometimes to look from the other side of politics or the other side of, of um, yeah, or conservative religion or those kinds of things. But I think you have to make an effort, at least. That's all I can claim, yes. to making an effort. Yes, and, yeah. and considering that it's a 400-year legacy, it's pretty amazing, isn't it, for a woman to come up with that on her deathbed? Yes, yes, that is pretty amazing. You, the, the question is, wonder what I'll say on my deathbed. It's probably everyone shut up and go away. <laughs> I hope I'll be able to rise to the occasion, but I can't guarantee that my deathbed will be anything like Mary Ward's. But yeah. oh, I don't know. I think it's, it's going to be amazing what you say. Thank you for joining us today, Libby. It's been amazing to hear about your story, and uh, we look forward to hearing more from you in future podcasts, possibly. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs>